See this episode's show notes for our unique promo code to get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn when you sign up for a new account. Get your show on Apple and Spotify. Get helpful stats and all the support you need to sound your very best. On today's episode of Unlocking the Club, I am thrilled to be in conversation with Shantara Hardy. Shantara is an award-winning public policy professional and serial entrepreneur with over 15 years of experience leading work in the areas of government affairs, healthcare access, economic and workforce development, environmental sustainability, city planning, and international affairs. Shantara currently leads three ventures. She's the co-founder and a board member with Civic Eagle, founder of Policy Grounds Consulting, and co-founder of Fearless Commerce. Thanks for tuning in as we unlock the club with our guest, Shantara Hardy. Welcome to the Unlocking the Club podcast, where we host honest and direct conversations about journeys of access, personal truth, and reclaiming space. We share our truth so that you can find the key to own your truth, honor your journey, and reclaim your space. Grab your keys, your wallet, your phone, and invite your friends to meet you at the club. Here's your host, Angela Taylor. Hello, welcome to Unlocking the Club. I'm your host, Angela Taylor, and I am really excited to be in conversation today, a soulful conversation today about being fierce and fearless. And one of the reasons that I want to talk about being fierce and fearless uh, is because we had a listener question that came to us recently asking more about unlocking the club. And I wanted to share a little bit of the backstory behind coming to this particular name of the podcast. It really was around this journey that I've been on recently of learning the game of golf. And there's a couple of things that I am realizing now over the last couple of years since I've been dibbling and dabbling in golf uh, that I heard about previously, but I just didn't quite understand um, how it mattered. One was that golf is really a game changer when you're thinking about making business opportunities come to fruition. For years, people have talked about, you know, it is on the golf course that a lot of deals are brokered. And I, I believe that to be true, but I didn't understand quite how impactful simply being on the golf course with influencers and decision makers could really be on your journey until I started taking up golf. And I have to tell you a number of times that I'm on the golf course, whether I'm playing by myself or with a friend or my brother or father, how many times I've met decision makers inside of organizations who give me their business card or grab my business card and soon thereafter, we start to be in conversation about some potential strategic alliances or partnerships as a result of being on the golf course. Now, I've heard about this for years that, you know, in the clubhouse, after playing around the golf house, so often, typically, like white men would show up in the clubhouse, start to play around the golf, and at lunch, they would broker all these deals. I just didn't realize that it could possibly happen for me as well. And I had literally resisted playing golf for years. I just, it didn't make sense to me why you're going to chase this tiny little ball around the golf course for four or five hours at a time out in the sun. Um, and this number of times that people come back from playing around the golf and being so frustrated, it just didn't make sense to me. But now I'm actually falling in love with the game of golf and I'm enjoying it. And many of the benefits, the social capital that you can derive as a result of playing golf, I'm starting to see those take hold as well. And I also realize that, you know, for, for people that may not be in the identity that I am occupying, 
being a black woman, I imagine that that is probably multiplied. The number of opportunities that have presented themselves to me probably pale in comparison to what happens for white men or white women, to be honest. So that's one thing is that golf is a really important piece. And so I wanted to unlock the club. I wanted to be able to feel comfortable out in the golf course with my game and my capabilities on the golf course so I could be in conversation and leverage the opportunities to maybe start to open up business opportunities that I didn't have before. The second thing that I am realizing that also has inspired the Unlocking the Club concept was the fact that just a few years ago in 2018, there were five black women in Pennsylvania and um, they're calling them the Grandview Five. They actually were playing golf as a means to just connect with each other and learn and be outside in this, the beautiful spaces. And the owner of the golf club called the cops on them, right? And it's now become a huge thing. If you haven't read about it, there's a lot of articles. I believe they're in the middle of a lawsuit right now. But the fact, right, that they were on the golf course, following all the rules, not doing anything out of the ordinary, and they called the cops on them because they were golfing while black, right, tells me that, again, there's this club that they may or may not want us to enter into. And that is something else that I'm trying to unpack and unlock so that other individuals that look like me, Black women, other women, women of color, folks in different identities that are historically excluded and marginalized, that we can leverage the benefits that many people reap from simply playing around the golf with others. And so that's the premise behind Unlocking the Club. And I will post on social media a video of me talking about a recent experience that I had when I was going to a new golf course where there was a little bit of fear that showed up inside of me. And it made me pause for a moment and think about all of those previous moments in the corporate boardroom where I showed up with fear and I didn't show up fully, where I actually paused and hesitated to lean into an opportunity because I was worrisome about being excluded or not being good enough or making mistakes or not seeming like I belonged. And those sorts of things I've seen on a golf course that I am personally experiencing, I know many of the guests that we'll speak to on our shows and many of you listeners are experiencing as well in your domains, whether that is in healthcare, whether that is in corporate America or in the legal profession, oftentimes fear shows up for us and has us paralyzed, has us pause and not show up in the way that we want to. So we're going to talk about that a little bit on today's show of what is required to show up fearless, to show up fierce. And our guest, I'm really excited to be in conversation with her because she does this on a regular basis in a myriad of different ways. And our guest today is Shantara Hardy. Shantara, welcome to Unlocking the Club. How are you doing? I am doing so great. Congratulations on this new adventure. Um, I'm really excited to be here to have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. It is an honor to have you in this space. I know that we've had the opportunity over the last few years to, to do some work around equity inclusion um, in particular. And I just continue to be so impressed and inspired by the different spaces that you occupy, the tremendous perspective that you have, and the work that you're doing. And so um, just for a quick moment, let our guests in on a little bit of what's important to Shantara Hardy and what are some of the clubs that you currently are unlocking? That, that's a great question. You know, I appreciated your grounding in, um, you know, clubs. When you think about um, the opportunity to be a part of a club, it often is a charter 
there often is membership rules that come with it and, and just operating of how the club works. And there are rules with a capital R that are written and there are some rules with a lowercase r that are unwritten that allow for those who know the password or know the um, network to be able to actually get in. And so I've had the opportunity to sit at a number of tables that can be defined as clubs, um, you know, being a part of organizations from an identity perspective um, related to my sorority as a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, being a member of corporate organizations, identifying the work that I choose to do as a business owner, being a member of the women um, corporate directors, also being a black woman in clubs that I have created. Power moves really focus on bringing women together to to move together, and just really focus on um, access related to opportunity is some of the, the clubs that I've been able to be in. From an idea perspective, I'm trying to unlock in this amazing state of Minnesota, you know, moving from clubs of just activity to outcomes, moving from, you know, being basic to going above and beyond because of the needs to improve the lives and livelihoods of people. So a number of, of spaces and places that I've had the opportunity to be members of. And many of those are based on my lived and learned profession. And many, I just kicked through the door and was like, I'm coming in. Y'all need me. Y'all need down. a member like me. <laughs> exactly. Well, I love that you said uh, moving from activities to outcome, like, right, unlocking those clubs. And I get curious, um, this for me has shown up quite a bit recently for black women. When we think about the recent elections and how black women showed up to impact the outcome. Like, is there something specifically that you're starting to see where we aren't just considered checking the box, right? And being in motion or activity, but we're actually trying to influence outcomes that oftentimes aren't just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others in our communities. Absolutely. I think the saying is that when you target and you invest in the least of, in those that are bearing the brunt of what is happening from a um, disinvestment perspective, you help the whole. And so when you think about the work that Black women have been able to do, they have been able to not only impact their lives, but they've been able to dismantle systems along the way because they are getting to the root of issues versus trying to work around the symptoms of different issues. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes this, um, this opportunity to raise our hand, to be able to get into places and show that there can be change and to ensure that we are also a part of the leading infrastructure is one thing to go in and say that we want to increase the number of folks in your example that are voting 
it's another thing to say, in addition to me providing access to voting opportunities, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to run. That's Stacey Abrams. Yes. I have the knowledge. I have the wherewithal to make impact in the system. And I can be the leader to ensure that that shift is being put on a trajectory that we don't go backwards because it was a moment in time that this it becomes a movement into system change and I am worthy and I have the lived and learned experience to actually lead that change and that in particular for black women has been a huge shift in the work that we've done for we'll speak to the United States for over 401 years hmm. around impacting system change and the shift of being ready and willing and well positioned to actually lead that change that is increasing in every different sector year over year over year. When I think about being ready, willing, and prepared to lead change, I just get curious, you know, Shantara, in a society that constantly is trying to tell Black women of which sandbox they can play in and which sandbox they can't play in, how do you have the audacity to show up in these spaces kick the door down gracefully in heels or whatever else that you may be um, wearing at that particular time or raising your hand. Like what gives you the audacity to be able to do that with confidence? You know, I'll give an example. I had the opportunity to be appointed here in Minnesota by Governor Dayton as the commissioner of the Department of Employment and Economic Development. That role came with a huge responsibility that state agency focuses on the workforce development throughout the state that includes training that also includes when folks are in difficult situations regarding unemployment social security and other aspects of it it also includes the business development side with responsibility over business incentives infrastructure improvement um, business development related to startups and helping Minnesota per capita is one of the states that have a large number of Fortune 100 and 500 companies, creating a space for them to thrive. And then also a responsibility for international relationship related to trade and um, commerce across the world. And I had the audacity to say yes to Governor Dayton that I would go and lead that state agency with over 1,500 amazing public servants. And that was a fearless move. But when when you think about, for me, when it comes to having the audacity to go in a space like that, as the first person of color to sit in that coveted seat as running the economic positioning, the economic strategy for the state of Minnesota, And that fearlessness around that and that audacity does not mean I was absent of fear. For me, it's operating this space of of creating a culture within myself of I appreciate the curiosity that you use in having these conversations, but it comes with this courage and this relentless commitment to navigate through struggling of should I be here? I think smart people call it imposter syndrome. Do I have the the knowledge 
to sit amongst these folks and actually lead the trajectory of this state, what comes with that? That comes with doing the work of me understanding and mastering my craft, making sure I understand the language and making sure I'm in alignment with my colleagues around what our goals are. And then lastly, related to, you know, this whole piece around understanding and having the network that when I don't know the answers that I can go outside of myself and tap that network to be able to get the right answer or to be pushed to be challenged to try something different and try something new. And that role in particular allowed for me to have the audacity to do that. And I think I did a fine job, just kidding, Um, and, and doing that. But that did not come without fear. That came with an, an, just an extra level of the necessity to have curiosity to want to do something different, bigger than myself, and the courage to say yes during a time knowing what we just you know, experienced with George Floyd, but pre what has defined the state of the state of Minnesota of having some of the largest disparities across health, across education, across economics in the country to say, yes, I actually want to do that job. Yeah. Well, there's so much to unpack there, right? Because, and we're going to get to this when we talk about not only did you do that job and do it well, um, but that laid the foundation for you literally to be one of the first phone calls that the governor for Minneapolis or Minnesota makes or a mayor of St. Paul or Minneapolis makes when there is a crisis that shows up. And we're going to talk about that, too, because I think that's incredibly important, like how you earned that respect to be one of the first people to, to be asked to be at the table in those conversations. What I get curious is from the outside looking in, and I've been in many spaces of just like being able to witness Shantara's greatness when she shows up Aww. in a moment and is able to um, work with the client, provide some great insight and perspective and strategic direction. And I wonder for those of us that look at you and say, she's in the club, right? She's, she's where she wants to be. Everything is hunky-dory. Like, is it okay in those moments where you're experiencing imposter syndrome, in those moments when you feel like you have to be overprepared, like what shows up for you in those moments? Because I think oftentimes we don't talk about that enough in our journey as we're overcoming. We talk a lot about how we get there and what we're doing, but we don't talk about the being along the way that could be debilitating for some. That's a that's a great question. I think, you know, for me, one of the things that has been very central central to being able to not only show up to those tables, but to stay there is having clarity around what my compass is. Why am I here? My North Star really focused on what role do I play in building thriving communities? And if I'm sitting at that table and I have the opportunity to say something, I have the opportunity to question something, I have an opportunity to be positioned to do something and it aligns with that North Star, then I have to sit in that discomfort because I've signed up for that. And the ability to create a space for you to navigate in a way 
where there's unknown and you know there's certainty. You know, I'm glad we're on Zoom. You know, I, you know, when Zoom allows you to be okay with being five two. So when you're small <laughs> and you come in a room and there's this expectation of how your power should look. You got that too, you know, you got, you, you have that too showing up and how to sit with that to be like, yeah, I'm sure. But wait till I put on these five inch heels. Okay. I'm going to see you, you know, <laughs> we're going to have this conversation eye to eye. However, it's being honest about where you are and what you feel. Nine times out of 10, how you're feeling in one room, that same feeling may show up in another room. And it becomes this responsibility for you to be your own personal surgeon to dissect and diagnose, well, what is that feeling? I mean, we can put it in the blanket of imposter syndrome, but what does that mean? You know, are you questioning your level of knowledge on the topic? Are you questioning your years of experience on the topic? Are you questioning if you actually can do the work? That necessity to diagnose where you are is so critical and if you get in these spaces and you don't do that work you will feel it in the next room and you haven't built up the toolbox to be able to tackle that oh i know what that feels like oh i know what that when you said that i know what that means and this is what can i connect it to when you said that it becomes your work to be that own personal surgeon to diagnose and dissect those feelings, to be present with them, to not um, think that you get tagged with the term fearless after it's done. It's in that it's in that thing where the courage has to show up for you to be able to get on the other side and someone can call you fearless or you were fierce or you showed up in a way that allow for actual solution. And so it's being present with when you're in those rooms and it's being aligned with your ultimate North Star that allows for you to sit there, allows for you to be uncomfortable at times when you're questioning if you should be there, but allows for you to move through it and learn so that when you get in that situation before, you're able to reach back to, to that experience to be able to allow for you to show up even better in that next room. Yes, I love where you're pointing us in this, this North Star. I think it's so important that we do in fact know our own value and resist the temptation to need external validation to prove what we already know about ourselves. I actually saw on social media recently, someone had posted something really simple. Um, they were saying something to the, the effect of, you know, everyone's not always going to be willing to clap for you. When anyway, like, right? So even in those moments, particularly as a black woman, you are not oftentimes gonna have people patting you on the back, giving you good feedback, acknowledging the ideas that you brought up, right? Um, they will acknowledge the group sometimes, not give you credit for certain things. And all you need is that internal validation of you knowing what you contributed and what you brought to the table. But I get curious, you know, Shantira, for you, you continue to climb the ladder. You continue to be in more important conversations in global communities. And I think recently you shared a story of, of um, a newly um, um, new board position 
that you had and in one of the first meetings and experience that you had there. So despite this resume that's similar to Judge um, Kentaji Brown Jackson on a bad day was significantly better, I'm sure, than the people that were around the room, you still had this experience. Can you, can you walk us through that experience and how you felt in that moment? I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, it becomes, you know, I can't remember if it's like my mom or grandma to say, girl, you can get all high and mighty, but your stuff still stink. <laughs> and you got to remember that no matter where you position, you know, titles aren't permanent and power shifts and you being clear around the fact that you can't script that every time you show up in a room, that the level of respect will be the same. The understanding of your worth will be the same. And the appreciation of the gifts that you bring will be the same. And so you having a strong sense of self that is, it is a muscle of that self-awareness and that um, confidence in your thinking that you have to have. And to that experience that I went into a meeting and I'll make it really sure that it was a meeting that was in addition to um, board members, there were outside individuals and I was put in the outside individual bucket hmm. versus automatically being thought as a board member. And that was a sucker punch. And it was a mirror moment of like, you can't be going up in here and telling these folks to, when they experience, you know, microaggression or, or something like that, and you don't do it. And that became a moment of mirroring to say, I have to say something. I have to be clear of how it made me feel. And I have to be ready to sit in this uncomfortable space for them to receive it. And I have to be clear that I'm signing up that this is what I'm walking into and that there's work to be done and I'm gonna roll up my sleeve. Even though I was bruised out the gate, that's continuous. And especially from a black woman or a person of color, that it happens more, more times than not. How are you navigating through? And how do you ensure that you create an environment where you teach people how to treat you? Amen. And that. that and I think that's 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 the hard part. Because and it becomes it becomes a weight. Because then you're like taking on responsibility of not only your self-worth, but then we oftentimes take responsibility that if I don't say something, I am literally setting up a trap for the next person because this human who did this harm has not one been told that it was harmful and two provided real talk around how to never do that shit again. Sorry, I don't know if we cuss on unlocking the club, yeah. but yeah, that's we're, uncensored. we're uncensored here. Just bring it all, bring your authentic <laughs> self to unlocking the club. <laughs> Cause sometimes you just have to curse, right? When you are unlocking the club and navigating the spaces, sometimes it requires you know, I, I dance more than I, than I cuss to get through. But I think that that, 
piece just around um, this connection to self, because you will not, I repeat, always be viewed with the same level of power and position, because none of that is permanent. There's always new spaces. There is always a person that may have something more. And if you walk in rooms knowing that, but knowing your worth and have clarity around your center, you're able to push. I think there's a quote that um, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember what it is that that it's um, something to the effect of no matter where you're no matter where you're sitting at the table you're going to operate in your gift and it doesn't have to be at the head of the table because wherever you sit and you stand the table will shift and so if you can manage your worth and your level of leadership and what you're going to bring to the table you can be sitting in the back in the corner you could be in a nosebleed and you can also be ready for when that table shifts because your gifts are needed, but you have to have alignment with it. You have to have clarity around what it is that you're trying to bring to the table. And you have to make sure that you have the courage when the shift does not go right, that you speak up and you say something. So again, so many things. So the first you've talked about the North Star and having clarity of your North Star. like. Are you someone who is about the activity or the outcome? And if the reason that you're at that table, right, is to get an outcome, whose comfort are you prioritizing? Like, right, in some of those situations, whether you're going to speak up to a microaggression or not, like, whose comfort are you prioritizing in that particular situation? And if you remember what my North Star is, what the outcome that I'm here for, then that has you show up in a certain way. And I think the last thing that you just mentioned. Um, I think oftentimes when we are, when we have the opportunity to be on boards or in certain decision-making positions, we forget the reason why we are there. We aren't there because somebody just like looked on a sheet of paper and said Shantara Hardy. We're there oftentimes because you have done the work over and over again and twice on Sunday to be there. And so bring that expertise that you have that probably no one else in that room has that same perspective. Do you agree with that, those concepts? I agree. And it's 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 ensuring that you have clarity around, again, you know, what are the gifts that you're bringing to that table? And how do you make sure that you have a strategic plan that you can benchmark against? I said yes because of this. And as I navigate on this journey with this organization in this example, it actually becomes a more... Um, a more, it becomes your responsibility. You should be accountable to ensure that you're hitting those marks. Like, what are your KPIs? Yeah, yes. Related to when you're sitting at a table. So, to my point with activity, like, I'm tired. I don't need to have 10 meetings with y'all. Like, let's get to outcomes. And so, I don't, we don't need to, we don't need to do 15 different things when we probably need to do five. But if and I'm not clear on that, if I haven't laid out those personal KPIs around how I want to show up and I'm not doing those checkpoints along the way to see if there's an alignment, 
where those you you part of the problem. You just you just sitting at another table holding up space. Yep. And this disconnect to the mission, which is often why you decide to sit at tables in particular outside of your own organization. And you're not, you don't have a checkpoint or there's not a compass that is pointing the way to that mission. You signing up for being real tired, doing a whole bunch of stuff that's not going to lead you to the outcomes that you said were the reason why you decided to sit at that table. Exactly. Right. Exhausted. Right. Trying to figure out how do I get out of this? <laughs> now this thing that I committed to without people thinking that I wasn't qualified or capable to actually yeah. contribute. Well, and I get curious for you, um, like you have pivoted to a certain degree of going from policy, right, in, in the public domain to being an entrepreneur. Right? You were co-founder um, of Civic Eagle, which an amazing story I want to kind of talk a little bit about in the tech space as a, a black owned business, like how you're navigating that and trying to raise capital. But you went from Civic Eagle, you have Policy Grounds Consulting um, to Fearless Commerce. You talk often about um, this concept of producers and consumers. And I wanna get your perspective from that because I know for me being an entrepreneur was, and I don't like using this term, but I don't know what other term to use, was being in ownership versus right, of, of being on the front lines of doing work um, that you aren't reaping the benefits from. Like, right, I wanted to be an owner, not just a producer. When you think about producers and consumers, when you think about being an entrepreneur, when you think about Black voices that are adding so much to outcomes, where can we find our own club where we're reaping the benefit from the work that we are doing and the work that we're putting in? That's a great question. You know, unpacking just that piece around being a producer and a consumer, when you think about it in the in the um, business building space, there's this level of, of of intellect that you're putting out there in whatever industry that you're looking to build in, and you're trying to produce the best product or service. You're trying to take an existing product or service to the next level, and on the other side, you're hoping that it aligns with clients and customers that will consume in a way that allows for you to scale, that allows for you to continue to innovate and allows for you to continue to produce. And so it becomes this other cycle. There is this piece in this building business journey that you do at times put on that consumer hat, that you're looking for the best feedback, that you are, you know, I, my, my husband actually said, folks who think they're going to start a business and work for themselves. You'll never work for yourself. You're mm -hmm. always working for your client, your customer, and that feedback for that next win. And so being in this consumer space of, of the experience that I'm creating for my customers, I have to be able to consume that feedback. I have to be able to understand their needs, their wants. Because the moment that you bring a human in anything, it changes. You can have the perfect fill in the blank. You bring a human in, it changes. And so having the agility related to this, this producer and consumer um, analogy zeroes in you having this growth mindset. You can't be fixed and this is my business, this is my idea, 
and this is how I'm going to build it. Because there's a part of the outside world that has to align that will infiltrate your thinking, your, your product delivery, all of those different things that come in into that piece. And so for me, like the ability to be able to do the pivots that I've done has been aligned with that. This commitment to growth, this commitment to putting on these two hats as a producer and a consumer, all connected to that North Star, still related to building thriving communities. And so this intersection um, plays into this space still of public policy, because for me, it's one of the ultimate spaces that shifts systems that can change the trajectory of lives and livelihood when the rules, written and unwritten, of the policies are aligned with the needs of the consumer, that are aligned with the um, ability to produce something that is actually going to solve a problem. And so that for me, like that whole concept is applicable to everything that I've done along my career related to being a city planner in the architecture and planning and design space, to being a lobbyist in the healthcare and environmental space, to now being a full-time business owner of bringing this whole, this, this whole just back and forth, the producer-consumer, producer-consumer into all the things that I'm able to wake up and do every day. Well, to, to your husband's point, uh, and that is actually a pretty interesting insight, right? There's a fear that shows up in, I can't make a mistake because if I make a mistake, I have mouths to feed and right, I'm not gonna have the income that's coming in to be able to take care of the bills. And I think that that leads a lot of black women, whether you're in the corporate space or whether you are an entrepreneur doing your own thing, to have this sense of having to be a perfectionist. Everything has to be done right. I have to dot every I, cross every T. I'm gonna work twice as much on this particular project as somebody else has to work. And, and, and you say um, something, and it's probably from your tech experience, um, version 1.0 is better than version none. And how, how is that applicable to wherever you are on your journey of how you show up in the workplace and reconciling being able to deliver results, but not being debilitated by trying to be perfect? I love that question. You know, there is value in, uh, you know, low investment and high impact. You know, as a as an urban planner, and I, in my new life, being trained at Stanford in design thinking, we learn about experimentation and piloting. And so, when you think about version one, you started something, you tried something there's a journey to that is that you when i said earlier around mastering your craft that you've done the homework you have clarity around who you're trying to solve this problem for and you put it out there i think about the work that myself and my co-founders in starting civic ego we started civic ego in a bsc model focused on the consumer to get them access into the public policy space utilizing an app that we were so excited because in the beginning 
of app production back in 2014 and 2015 to get in the Apple store at Google Play was like, that was the badge of honor. It was hard to get in there and we got in there. And it was putting that app out there, iterating and getting feedback and being honest about what we do with that feedback, which built our business of today because that feedback told us we ain't had no dang on business model <laughs> and we had to pivot. And we pivoted into a B2B company focused on understanding and being honest about in the public policy space, who's driving shifts in public policies, which are intermediary organizations, advocacy organizations, business associations, business chambers, government affairs, lawyers, there's lobbyists, that's our customer and being honest about that. And we made that shift, but we had to put version one out there for us to get the feedback to learn. And that pivot four or so years later in 2018 has turned into an amazing company that my two co-founders, Damola and Yemi, are leading today. And we've just raised a series A $10 million. But if we didn't put out version one, which was scrappy bootstrap, we somehow made it into the Apple store complete shift, we never would have known. And layering on this, this concept of producers and consumers, we produced something and put it out there and got that feedback by what we thought was our customer and our client. And the feedback we got was, yes, and here's where you're going to get the most impact. And how do you do that in a way to, to make it work? So that, that for us in building our civic tech company allowed for us to be able to be agile enough to experiment, allowed us to be able to have the hard conversations around the investment we had made and needing to shift and go a different direction. That takes a lot. And so therefore perfection is expensive and if we would have kept going and not went in with this growth mindset this mindset around taking version one out into the marketplace we probably would still be trying to build a product and if you add on top of that the state of the world a product allows for folks to video debate we'd be over here just first amendment crazy trying to <laughs> censor folks yeah. And that product and individuals having their day. Yeah, no, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that my co-founders in particular, um, you know, led in a way to be open to make that shift at Civic Eagle. All right. Listeners, if you haven't written it down already, I'm going to write it down and actually put it on my computer. Perfection is expensive. It's expensive. It is, it is extremely expensive. Uh, and a couple of things around Civic Eagle before we pivot. Um, first and foremost, congratulations to you and your team on that Series A funding. I know that that is huge and will allow you to continue to have a greater impact uh, in the work that you're doing. So I know that that is not just huge for you as an organization, but certainly those that will benefit from the work that you're doing. But I actually want to unlock the club and get really interesting in the tech space. Um, when you are trying to raise capital, as a black owned business, 
who are the gatekeepers that have the passcode that you mentioned before to actually getting to funding? Because it's not just about a great idea, it's about access to capital. How do you unlock that? Absolutely. Let's just start with the first thing, language. Hmm. Prior to deciding to make this pivot, if I had to be on the elevator of my life and talk to somebody about a cap table and limited partners and venture funds and um, convertible notes, my life would be over. Mm. Yep. Venture capital raising is a whole nother lexicon in business. And so when you think about from a standpoint of that club, if that language has not been in your family, if that language of understanding that industry has not been taught in schools, you don't even know that club exists. Yeah, you don't even know where to begin. You don't even know where to begin to know. So there's this level of language. The second piece around club of understanding, this backs to our other uh, piece of our conversation around ownership. The moment that you move outside of bootstrapping, having a very clean relationship with your customer or your client, and you bring in an investor, equity or debt, ownership decreases. That's a whole nother conversation of unlocking that club to, to understand when you make that decision to shift your level of ownership, why are you doing it? Is it the scale? Having clarity around the type of company you want to create? All of that, all of that, there are so many clubs that don't look like me and you that have those conversations. I had this conversation last week, in particular, talking about Minnesota, you know, these, these, the alphabet soup of venture raising, you may start with an angel investor, you may go to a pre-seed, a seed, a series A, B, C, D, E, F. Minnesota's a very, yeah, head blown. So Minnesota likes for you to be very advanced in your MVP that you're building. Mm -hmm. And so Minnesota money oftentimes is paying for series A, but you go to the East coast and West coast and someone that doesn't look like me can just have an idea in their head and get a seed round of $2 million and they haven't built anything. Exactly. I'm, I'm a napkin, bring a napkin with some, some drawings on it and get millions. Yeah. Yeah. I need to have customers. I need to have traction. Mm -hmm. Is that language again? I need to have a monthly recurring revenue of X, Y, and Z. And so understanding that one, this club requires a different level of language. This club requires a different mindset around ownership that is precious in our community. Why? Because through our history, ownership has been taken away from us. Yes. I think about here in Minnesota, my work in city planning and one of the most wealthiest and prosperous communities. And it happened throughout the country, Rondo neighborhood that the freeway went through it. That took ownership away, not only housing, but businesses, connection to the social fabric of a community that has oftentimes been what we've lost. 
And so you now put on top of this, this new way of scaling and building a business that I'm giving up the ownership of my company to be able to do that. That's a whole mindset shift. And you don't hear that being talked about because that's where the resources are. And that's the language of the day. And that's how you make it. That if you get this investment, that if you allow for this type of capital to be infused in your company, that this is what will happen on the end. There's a pre-conversation and understanding that is so necessary, especially in our communities, to truly unlock that club of investment in a way that makes sense for you and that it aligns with the future type of business that you're trying to build. Like anybody listening to this, don't go into that journey of capital infusement without having these type of conversations with yourself, your partners, your investors that may not be financial contributors to be clear around the type of company that you're building and to be comfortable with your definition of ownership and where you see yourself and building that company for either legacy or for a limited um, investment in how you get to that next level. That's real. Yeah, that is real. And as you're telling that story about the language, I'm just thinking about an experience that you have when you're going to a car lot, trying to buy a car, trying to spend tens of thousands of dollars of your own money. And if you are inside of a certain identity, they won't even pay you any mind. So now you're talking about when you're trying to raise millions of dollars, getting somebody else's money, you, you, you're going to need to know the language, right? You're going to need to have that savvy. And I remember years ago in Silicon Valley, they talked about quite often there would be black owned businesses and they would have a white person, a white male most often that was the, the front person, right? Because they knew that that conversation would feel so much differently in those VC boardrooms than it would if there was a group of black people showing up. And, and I appreciate what you are all doing to unlock that club. And we need more of it with exactly what you just shared. Um, but Shanti, I want to pivot a little bit. You mentioned earlier kind of feedback. Um, and, you know, going from, you know, that version none to version one was listening to the feedback so you can continue to improve. There's a great book that's out called Thanks for the Feedback. And I think that that's really important. So often many of us are resistant to feedback. And there's some managers who are not great at giving feedback, right? But if you kind of ignore the way they're delivering it or who they are and you try to get some of the granules of information like that feedback can be incredibly important to you um what is some of the feedback that you would have for clubs right that currently are not necessarily accessible to black women what are some feedback that you have for them to maybe open up the doors to more shanteras who can have an impact on the outcomes my first piece of advice is be honest that you're ready for some more Shantaras coming in. Mm. The lip service to say that you are looking to diversify whatever dimension of diversity, age, race, gender, geography, um, knowledge, experience, be honest about that. Because when Shantara is coming in to your club, I hope that you expect she's going to bring Shantara to your club. And so being honest about, are you really signing up to shift how you do business? Because I'm gonna have some ideas. Are you signing up to 
ensure that those ideas are actually implemented. Like that's step one, because if you're not serious, there's no need for you to position your club as wanting to expand. And I think that's a, that's a piece that I think is is so important. That's what's happening around our country that we got to skate on lip service for a whole lot of this decade and statements and seeing the shifts of the demographics in our country that we wanted. But then it was like, I know I said that, but wait a minute. It's too many of y'all. Yeah, Are you ready a business. minute? We, we've been doing it like this for so long and now you want to do this. It ain't broken. We just wanted you to come on, you know? We wanted you to come there. You know, I wanted to, you know, diversify for assimilation, mm. not for your true inclusive impact. And if the club ain't ready for that, let me know. Because clearly, if I stood a chance to get in your club, I have the wherewithal to just go ahead and create my own and have alignment to the needs and the goals that is going to actually probably do more for someone else that look like me, that have the same goals that I have. And we can be good. And if we got to go out in the marketplace to compete, get ready, because we gonna compete and we're gonna be ready to go. And I, and I think that, you know, you think about history, you think about when folks decided that they didn't want you. So we decided to create the Negro League and you looked over and y'all was like, Oh, that's how y'all doing it over there? Come on over here now. We were just kidding. You know, what we're seeing today with respect to the intellect that are that comes out of HBCUs, it's like, wait a minute, come on over here to, you know, the PWI, the Browning Way institutions. Y'all should come over here. Like, but it's be honest about, do you truly want the inclusion? And then go for there to go on the journey before I come in to ensure that you're ready for shifts in the environment, shifts in your operating rhythm and how you show up and that you have the courage and the curiosity to sit when the conversations are unfamiliar. They don't always have to be hard. They may just be unfamiliar. That you have that courage and curiosity to stick with that, to get to a place of outcomes related to the mission. Just because I'm coming in with new ideas, ways of doing business or running whatever entity, that doesn't mean I'm trying to shift the mission. You're, you're going to play golf. You're not trying to change the rules of golf at this point. I don't know if you've seen any, you know, things yeah. you need to dismantle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, fewer right. trees, fewer trees, so I lose fewer balls, but that's about it. <laughs> you know, and so there becomes this, this fear around when I allow for you to show up. Yeah. And what does that mean to the mission um, and your standards? That's the other thing. Come on now, please. Yeah. 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 Raise the standards. Yes. Well, and I'm going to raise your standards when I roll yeah, up in there. Absolutely. When you said this earlier, and I think this is really important for, for our viewers and listeners, is the landscape and the tide is shifting. 
Like right now you have NASDAQ and you have these different organizations that are putting their foot down and saying, look, we need diversity at the table. And so before we were excited about the opportunities and the invites. And now it is our responsibility to vet the situation. And if they aren't coming to the table and really wanting our voice and our opinion on affecting the outcomes, then there's going to be other opportunities for us to consider. And we have to show up the way Shantara showed up in that boardroom before and letting folks know when there's a microaggression, let me figure out a way to call them in and call them out so that it doesn't happen again and that they start to act right, right? So that the situation could be of benefit to you. And that's a really important space. Shantara, I have a question for you around crisis. Like, so again, we joke about it all the time. Anytime something was happening, it felt like in mid to late 2020, right? We could be in a meeting on a call and the bat phone was going off. The first phone call people were making was to Shantara Hardy. Um, and there was a lot going on in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul for, for obvious reasons. I wonder in those moments of crisis, which you navigate so well, what we have found recently is oftentimes organizations reach out to the black ERG or the, the you know, Asian ERG to have those folks figure out how to, to create a change space. In the moment when you were receiving these crisis phone calls, certainly they needed your help, but was there also an accounting of your being and how you were feeling in that moment and how you were navigating what was happening in Minneapolis and what you needed to be full and okay? And is that something that you needed or could ask for? I would say that, you know, as we navigated the international spotlight of the murder of George Floyd, not just Shantara, but Black people and people of color had to exist in dualities, especially those on the front line, of being very clear of the feeling that this was not right and the trauma that it caused and having the responsibility to be at the table to ensure that the bleeding stopped, that the harm and the hurt was called out. That duality of existing is, is very overwhelming, was very overwhelming. And so for me, you know, I tap out. I, you know, I said, I, I can do a good dance party. And I know that about myself. I signed up. I, I, navigate and perform well in a crisis. I've done this for a number of years and I know the impact when it hits home of how real it is. And so for for me, it's it's back to our earlier point is sitting in that. How am I feeling? How is the situation and being clear around and, and figuring out how best you verbalize that to folks that can opt out. Oftentimes, when it comes to these situations, we don't get the privilege to opt out. I think I said it to someone in a conversation. It's like now, you know, we thank our folks in Europe around 
cookies and tracking your data, you get all these little toggles where you can turn off the tracking, you can turn off all these different things. For most Black people, especially those on the front line, those things are always strictly necessary. You don't even get an option to, to turn it off. And so it becomes this, this burden at times when you've take on, taken on this responsibility to be on the front lines and, and to answer those calls. You know, I had the, the opportunity to work with a number of our elected officials as we navigated the crisis here in, in Minnesota. And I got to do that and be trusted to do that, you know, you know, based on a history that you mentioned earlier of working in, in crisis. And so I was the one who answered the red phone in Minnesota prior to me becoming commissioner. And so it wasn't only when there were police involved shootings, it was when we had weather events as tornadoes took over communities in greater Minnesota. It was even when, and we, it was a little bit of uh, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder when turkeys got avian flu again. That was one of the things I had to do a number of years ago of get us on the other side of that and ensuring biosecurity. So you talk about language and a new lexicon. That time I was, you know, nowhere near understanding turkeys and knowing that Minnesota was the largest producer of turkeys. And we had to, with compassion, work with turkey farmers and generations of turkey farmers that right in front of them that their animals, our food, the supply chain was just being devastated. And in that crisis, it, it becomes those key things have to show up related to compassion and empathy and in crisis to be able to move. And so my bias toward action and you know outcomes versus activity is rooted in that because any move that you make is going to impact what's next in a crisis and how you do that. Working with leaders, I get to do that with policy ground consulting, specifically with executives in crisis to be able to coach them through to get on the other side of the end, to get to the transcend um, to the space where they operate in their genius of building products and services and moving public policy that is actually gonna make a difference. But I'm there when they are in that crisis and need to navigate in a way to um, get on the other side. And so it's, it's, a, it's a burden and a blessing. I signed up for it, so I guess it's self-inflicted <laughs> that operating in this crisis navigation space um, brings me joy to be able to help folks solve. You know, I was talking to someone that I said, you know, I think I'm a take on the title, I like to design strategies um, to get folks out of a crisis and into, you know, a place where they can actually operate in abundance. So 
Hmm. Well, it requires someone who is fearless in those intense moments to be able to navigate a crisis as nimbly as you do. And so I know that all the folks that have your number to the bat phone um, are <laughs> so, so glad that they do. Uh, and we've been listening to Unlocking the Club with Shantara Hardy. We're gonna take a quick break and coming out on the back end of the break, we're gonna hit the back nine with Shantara with some rapid fire questions. We'll see you in a little bit. All right, so we're gonna have a couple of rapid fire questions uh, to, to wrap up. Scared. With you. I'm scared of the back. We're put you on the hot seat. Put you on the hot seat there in Minnesota. We might need to warm up in in Minnesota this time of the year. Uh, I guess the first one is a birdie told me that you had the pleasure of going to Richard Branson's Island. How did you unlock that club? Because that is a club that I think we all have on our bucket list. Oh my gosh, my amazing co-founders had the opportunity to go pitch in um, one of Sir Richard Branson's tech challenge in that time period of our pivot. And we won, like we, we got to be in the top 10, we got to, to pitch at um, the, uh, one of the largest consumer tech um, conferences in Vegas, if you made it there, you get to go to the island if you got in the top 10. Wow. And we did. And so we, very surreal, were able to go and experience this island and the British Virgin Islands. And it's amazing as you would think. It, I mean, the, the energy of the folks that were there around extreme tech from around the world and the experience of being on a private island was like, okay, this is what we're doing here. The bluest water you've ever seen in your mm -hmm. life. So yeah, I did get to experience that in partnership with my co-founders and my part and my family. So it was cool. Wow, folks. So that is what we call unlocking the club. Because if it's anything hey, like wait, the sir hasn't invited me back yet. So if he's listening. Okay. Okay. I would love to come back. It was a momentary unlocking of the club. Like, right, we want to make it a perpetual unlocking. And if it's anything <laughs> like your experience on a Virgin Atlantic flight, I can only imagine what uh, being on the island was like. Uh, Shantara, like beside obviously the Unlocking the Club podcast, what's one of your favorite podcasts to listen to? Oh my God, I have a lot. I don't want to. I don't want to call out. I don't want to call out this one because my, my new one favorite one is going to be unlocking the club, you know, make sure that, you know, all of my people are, are listening to that. Um, I would say, you know, a couple things, you know, I'm always about, I am on the board of NPR. And so being able to listen to NPR podcasts, um, marketplace, a number of different uh, podcasts focused on, um, the economy is 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 what I'm excited about. A couple other ones, um, Masters of Scale, um, How I Built This, and uh, just a number of different ones. I do in terms of spiritual. Listen to one podcast with um, Pastor Charay Roberts and Sarah Jakes, Sarah um, Jakes Roberts, and a number of those different ones. So I I, I have I say my podcast collection. You know, it's like the likes of the United Nations. It's a very diverse <laughs> genre 
of learning to be able to make sure. I mean, I don't know what type of crises I'm coming. I never knew I was to be ready for turkeys getting flu. And so I gotta be ready, I gotta be on my toes. And so being able to to tap into some, you know, great podcasts, I think is 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 exciting. Oh, that's great. I love that. It's definitely going to mark those podcasts down for those that I don't have on the list already. Uh, Shantara, besides your own home, where's a place that you feel safest to be yourself and to be in that dance party that we've been hearing about? Uh, well, I dance anywhere. So if anybody knows me, there's that. <laughs> but just with my family, with my family home, most of my family is still back home. I'm here in St. Paul, Minnesota. Most of my family is back home in Ohio. And so um, that for me is is a place that allows for all of me, uh, good, bad, and in between. So home, right. home, 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 home. I love it. When you talk a lot about like, particularly in crisis, like you were leaning into these spaces that for others would feel really uncomfortable. Uh, but are there any spaces or situations that you walk into with trepidation every time? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I, I didn't get to talk a lot about um, our work that we do at Fearless Commerce. You know, we are focused on elevating Black women-owned businesses to ensure that on the other side of they're starting their company and they're able to sustain high-growth competitive companies. I will say I take that so serious. And so whenever I get the opportunity to be the resource or bring a resource in the room, I know it's at stake. Because mm. oftentimes black women are starting business from a livelihood perspective to solve a problem in their community. And so there is this level of accountability and responsibility of every time I get to get in the space of black women building that I do walk with this, this level of responsibility to get it right to ensure that whatever i have inside of me as a vessel of all these places i've gotten to sit as a commissioner sitting across from heads of states ambassadors um state department officials um to being able to sit across from executives from largest companies to being able to sit in a room with builders of our next economy and technology that if I have something that I can share, I am oftentimes nervous I didn't share it all. Mm. That I want to make sure that whatever I know, whatever I can impart, that it is done in a way that when those business owners leave myself or my business partner, Camille A. Thomas, that we put it all on the table because we know what's at stake that when we build a thriving business owned by a black woman, we oftentimes build a thriving community. And so that for me, it's like a nervous and exciting anxiety that every time I'm able to get in the room with an owner, that I walk with that level of accountability and responsibility. I love it, I love it. Couple more, um, so if you were having a dinner party who are three people you would invite to sit at your dinner table? Jeez. That's a great question. That was that was really a back nine. Um, my husband for sure. Nice. Be there. 
Keep keep it, uh, keep the house happy. Well, he he likes to eat, and I like to eat, and we <laughs> like to talk about it. Uh, my husband. I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick guests that are aligned with my current learning and and um, learning about them that I've, I'm, I'm, I have curiosity to learn more. So another individual I just just got to cross paths with her. She's a powerhouse black woman owned business owner named Phyllis Newhouse. And she was the first black woman person of color to successfully launch a SPAC, which is a special purpose acquisition company, in 90 days and ring the New York Stock Exchange. She's built wow. a successful cybersecurity company ahead of her time. And so being able to have her as a guest to, to understand um, that is is phenomenal. The other ones you see in terms of our future that I would I would invite from a standpoint of just grounding me in the sanity of the dumpster fire of the world we live in is Miss Amanda, Miss Amanda, our poet laureate, mm -hmm. and and her just genius that she's operating in. So that would be my my that would be my Tuesday dinner because I would have <laughs> the right to have. Right, you got to eat seven days a week. Day. So there's plenty of other ones at the table, right? <laughs> awesome, love it. Those are I love it. Um, last couple questions. Where can our listeners find you and what projects are you currently working on? Absolutely. So for organizations, and I believe all organizations should be in the business of public policy, for your team to ensure that your KPIs include public policy that may impact your mission, whatever your bottom line is, people, profit, planet, sigeagle.com please go and you we have uh free trials you can sign up to be able to track bills in all 50 states in congress you can find us with that handle civic civic underscore eagle like the bird e-a-g-l-e on every social media platform for black women business owners and those on a journey to scale their company, fearlesscommerce.com and handle um, all social media channels is the same. We're there. And my firm, my boutique firm, if you reach me on those other ones, it's, I'm very selective of my clients related to policy grounds consulting and want to work with executives. So if you are an executive that's looking to have a thought partner to help you navigate in crisis, that's helping you be positioned to be coached to the next level, to transcend in effective thinking, um, please reach out. Awesome. So. Awesome. So what projects I'm working on, I'll tell you one, a big exciting one for Fearless Commerce. We're working on, um, you know, as we think about the receipts that have come due related to what's happening with George Floyd, that we went from anger to anguish and limited action. One of those things is corporations and government putting out resources. And there's always a key to get into the club of supplier diversity and procurement. And one of those is certification. 
And so in partnership with an organization here in Minnesota called the Activate Network, we started an initiative called Certified Access to assist women of color owned businesses to become certified as either a women owned business, a minority owned business, or through your local um, or state government or federal government designation. And you can go to uh, certifiedaccess.co to get information if you're a woman of color interested in becoming certified. So that's what's happening in my world. That is a lot, a busy, busy person doing amazing things. Shantara, thank you so much. It's been an honor being in conversation with you. I appreciate all the perspective and insight that you shared and look forward to hearing what's next. Um, there is no doubt in my mind um, that you will continue to have a fantastic impact on our communities around the globe and that that bat phone will be ringing off the hook because people need somebody with your wisdom and perspective uh, and focus on driving the outcome. So thank Thanks for joining us on Unlocking the Club. Thank you so much for having me and I'm excited to subscribe and hear all the other amazing this conversations that you're having. And I'm, I'm honored that I get to work alongside of you and the Dignitas Agency to, to drive impact in, in organizations. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, and we have a lot of fun with it as well. Yes, we do. Well, we dance. We dance, we dance. There's some dance parties happening and there's gonna be a dance party happening after listening to this episode. Again, hope you enjoyed all of the wisdom and insight that you heard from Shantara Hardy. Um, for more episodes of Unlocking the Club, as Shantara just said, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope to see you next week for our next interview. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening to Unlocking the Club. If this conversation resonated with you, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your favorite streaming platform so that you can experience every episode. And follow us on social media where you'll hear about future guests, access special features, and connect with this amazing community. Head on over there and let us know how you are unlocking the club. Until next time, peace.